Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Erin here with Kyle, and we have an exciting guest that we're excited to bring to you guys. Um, Carrie Forrest is the blogger behind Clean Eating Kitchen. Professionally, Carrie holds two master's degrees in business administration from the University of Southern California and uh, a master's degree in public health from UMass Amherst. Personally, she's had quite the health journey, having been diagnosed with Hashimoto's and then thyroid cancer in the recent past. And on top of that, she struggled with disordered eating, PCOS, chronic migraines, allergies, and anxiety. That is a lot to handle, Carrie. And that's what makes me an exciting guest. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) it. So, Carrie, welcome to the show. We... um, we were introduced through through Instagram. Uh, one of us reached out to each other. We'd been I have been following you for quite a few years, so it's so cool to connect in person. And I'm so pumped to have you on the show. Thank you for being here. And thank you for having me. And I love your podcast, so it is a pleasure to speak with you here. Awesome. Okay, so I will start things off. And I I wanted to start things off by tackling the name of your website, Clean Eating Kitchen, because people have some opinions about the phrase clean eating. So originally, this was a way to just describe eating whole, real foods that are minimally processed, not packaged or from a factory. A lot of the issues around the phrase clean eating comes from the eating disorder world, because for some... It can be interpreted as someone kind of creating good versus bad rules around food. Like if you aren't eating clean, it means you're eating dirty. What I really appreciated and noticed most about your website was how you defined what clean eating means to you and the specific words you chose to do that. So you state clean eating includes real whole foods most of the time and choosing organic and sustainable options whenever possible. You also say clean eating isn't limited to one particular diet, whether that's vegan, paleo, or anything else in between. So what really comes across for me is the flexibility that you're promoting around this concept of clean eating. I think in the health and wellness world, it can be very easy to find yourself creating rules around food, possibly not even based on your own specific needs and symptoms, but just because you might see someone else avoiding something, so you start doing that too. But what can end up happening because of these hard rules can actually cause a lot more damage than good. We talked about the stress a person can have um, following an elimination diet in our last episode, 
And I think a lot, um, there can be a lot of stress around healthy eating too. Finding yourself not wanting to go out to eat with friends, obsessively following food rules, or feeling guilt or shame when you eat certain foods. So the flexibility in your message is obvious to me, but I'm sure there was a lot of thought that went into how you defined clean eating and the experiences that led up to that. Can you talk a little bit about your views on clean eating and why it's so important to have some flexibility around that idea? Yeah, and I think um, this is kind of the topic that Erin and I have bonded on Instagram about too, because it's like when you, especially when you come from an eating disorder past, but then, so, um, which I have, I actually had binge eating disorder starting as early as probably around 10, age 10. And it was coincided with um, a really chaotic and, um, um, a really bad time in my family. My dad went through a financial bankruptcy, so my sister and I had to go live with an aunt and uncle for a while, and um, it was. And then we ended up moving around, and so it was a really stressful time for me. And so that's when I first started using food for comfort, and in a really serious way. And then, um, you know, long story short, I things calmed down. I, you know, grew up and um, my habits got a little bit more normalized, although that behavior and that mindset around food was kind of unfortunately set. And it's taken a lot of of um, therapy, to be honest, a lot of personal growth to get to the point where I am now. But back to my kind of original point that where Erin and I, I think, really um, kind of have a similar experience is so you you have this disordered eating mentality and it's um, it kind of always is there in your head. Um, but then you also, if you're in the health sphere or if you know you want to be you want to be a healthy person, and then you kind of have to find that balance, and that is like a real struggle, and it's kind of like it's one of the finer points like it's kind of like fine-tuning your experience you you go through all this struggle and then um you want to be healthy and so there's all these components but then when it gets down to it you're kind of like walking this thin line and i feel like i do that um i mean i'm doing that and um but it's something that i really do have to think about every day and then now being in the position of uh, like having my own podcast and having my own website and um, putting things out on Instagram I really kind of have to think about um, like the message that I'm putting out and and trying to incorporate that idea of like yeah like I need to be gluten-free and dairy-free but maybe you don't maybe those foods work for you or maybe um, you know just that's kind of how I came to that definition of clean eating. I was really, really tempted to put a label on like the diet that I'm doing. Um, and that, I don't know. I mean, I really don't think that I could 
pick one thing that works for everybody, but it's really tempting to try to find a label. And in a sense, I have with the clean eating, but then I really do try to promote the flexibility with that term. And um, Kyle, I like what you said about, um, like, you know, unfortunately, clean eating still has that connotation of clean eating well then what's bad eating um but for me i haven't really um like i don't know i guess like maybe i've come far enough in my recovery with my eating disorder that like that part of it like the clean versus dirty or the good versus bad it just doesn't um it doesn't weigh on me anymore yeah that makes a lot of sense. And, and even when you mentioned the gluten and dairy, I know on your website, you say, you know, the recipes that you have are gluten and dairy free, because that's what works for you. But you make a point to note that many people can add gluten and dairy back into their diet without any issues. So I, I agree, it is a very fine line. But I think I think the overarching theme comes across very clear that you know, this is how you choose to eat real whole foods, um, organic and sustainable, but you're not a hundred percent and you're not perfect and you don't, you don't expect anyone else to be either. So I really like that. Good. I'm glad that comes through. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you poke around your website and we'll definitely link to that and send people there, but how you write and the things you say, it's, it, it, it absolutely comes through that, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking one one specific thing. How you talked about we're going to talk about this in a moment, but how you you note that a vegan diet didn't work for you. It wasn't the most supportive of your health, but that doesn't mean that it's true for everyone. And that's something that I think we fail to recognize in our food culture that what's good for the goose is not necessarily good for the gander because our terrain, our background, our individual context greatly influences which dietary approach might be appropriate for us. And in my opinion, dogma has no place when it comes to food. We have to give ourselves the grace and the flexibility to change our mind. Something might work for us for a while, and then it might stop working for us. And then, you know, what happens if we've backed ourselves into a corner, like this is the way that I eat, you know, that's not helpful. So, um, since I'm I'm kind of talking around this a little bit, um, when so uh, Carrie actually interviewed me, like you had mentioned on her podcast, Clean Eating Podcast, and you you mentioned when we were talking about my experience with eating disorders that when you switched over to a vegan diet, there there was some concern for animal welfare. But really, the anticipation of quick, of quick weight loss is what what really motivated you to try a vegan diet. And I can I can really relate to that. I think disorder is often masked by the pursuit of health. Growing up, people thought I was just a health conscious kid and health conscious teenager simply because I read fitness magazines. It was was always on a diet, but I was never chasing health. I was just chasing skinny. Um, so my eating disorder, unfortunately, went under the radar for such a long time because the pursuit pursuit of skinny is socially and culturally acceptable. So we can get away with a lot of dysfunction under the guise of health. Um, so it was interesting to hear you say that and to see how, how that disorder can influence our decisions, even when we're thinking we're coming at it from health, like that disorder still 
can can lay dormant, I guess. Um, and since we're talking about the whole vegetarian thing, I, I think it's important to note that, especially with, with documentaries coming out like Forks Over Knives and What the Health, we can misassociate vegetarianism with health, right? We can start to hear vegetarian and then we think, oh, they're doing it for their health. But just because you're eating a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet doesn't necessarily mean it's a whole foods, plant-based diet. And Kyle, I mean, you've talked about this before when you were a vegetarian, Oh, yeah, I can speak to that. I mean, I'll admit that I thought the vegetarian diet I followed for about eight years was healthy. But in reality, that's it's actually why I ended up having a lot of my health issues. There was a lot of so-called healthy cereals for breakfast, homemade pizza weekly, pasta weekly, lots of yogurt and dairy and all these supposed healthy snack foods. And just because I was making this stuff at home and using veggies and whole ingredients a lot of the time doesn't mean my diet still wasn't heavy in gluten, grains, and dairy to kind of make up for that animal protein that was missing. And what's crazy is even when I started having health issues, I kind of refused to admit that those foods were the culprits, even though that's exactly what it ended up being. It, it was the gluten and the dairy, which I found out from an elimination diet and then just continuously feeling better from not eating them. So the funny part was, yes, I was still eating salads every day for lunch and eating lots of veggies. And from the outside, it might have looked like I ate a very healthy vegetarian diet. But once I added meats back in and ditched the dairy and most of the grains, my diet became much more plant and whole food based than it ever was before and therefore a lot healthier. So <clears throat> Carrie, what I kind of want to talk to you about and really one of the reasons that we wanted to interview for you for the show was your switch from a vegan lifestyle to a non-vegan lifestyle. So uh, Carrie had actually established herself. This is when I first started following you um, as a vegan blogger on a very public platform. So I can imagine the decision was extremely tough to make. Um, so I'd love to hear your thought process behind it, how you made the decision, how you were able to put your body's needs first, and how did you know that that was the right move for you to make the switch to a more animal inclusive diet? Yeah, and Kyle, I just wanted to mentioned that I had such a similar experience with um, a vegan diet with it being really heavy in um, gluten, um, not dairy because uh, vegans don't eat any animal food, so no eggs or dairy, but I did eat a lot more gluten. And then the other food product that I ate daily uh, was soy. Mm. And mm -hmm. so, um, and I had... I had already, I had gone into a vegan diet. This was around 2010. I was introduced to the vegan diet and I had already had symptoms of Hashimoto's, but my endocrinologist, of course, said there was nothing I could do uh, food or lifestyle related to keep it under control. And um, so frustrating. I know. And actually, I think even he's no longer my endocrinologist, but I think he would he would continue to give that advice just because I know he hasn't changed his stance on that. Because like the regular Western medicine endocrinologist, they that is not what they're being taught that, um, you know, like this and 
as opposed to a more holistic or functional medicine approach, which really does start to look at uh, like how gluten can affect antibodies, but that's kind of a whole different um, story. But uh, the bottom line was that I, the only reason I was actually able to stay on a vegan diet, which I did for about three and a half years, was because I was eating probably two, at least two servings, maybe even three of soy per day, because um, I, I didn't really feel like I got a lot of energy or pro quality protein from eating beans or legumes. And quite frankly, my digestive system never really adjusted to eating that many beans. So I was just eating so much soy. And um, during that time, when I was vegan, I ended up being the vegan who got cancer. I mean, not the only vegan, but it was like, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm like a health vegan. I'm so healthy. I'm healthier than everybody else. You know, that was kind of like my attitude. And then um, in 2012, I went to my endocrinologist. I had to visit him every year to have him um, do, he did an ultrasound on my thyroid because he knew I had nodules and Hashimoto's and so 2012 I just kind of waltzed in the office like I normally would I expected he would just say nope everything's the same see you next year you know and instead he said um, we found a new spot on your thyroid we need to biopsy it and um, then even though it, it is you know it not I don't want to scare people. If you have to have a biopsy, more likely than not, it will be fine. But mine wasn't. They found cancer cells. So I had to have my thyroid removed. And that kind of set off a whole new situation in my body where um, living without a thyroid, you have to take um, replacement hormone. And that was very difficult for me to, my body to adjust to that. I think because I was having digestive issues and so I wasn't absorbing the hormone um, as well as I should have been. And so my energy just um, just tanked. Um, it was really, really um, disturbing. And I did go through a lot of just dilemma of, you know, like, is it my diet? Um, maybe I'm not um, doing the vegan diet hard enough. That's what actually a lot of people told me afterwards, <laughs> after I made my decision, they said I must have not been doing it right. Uh, um, mm -hmm. And so I kind of suffered for about, about two years, because, because it wasn't till about 2014, until I was just really, my energy was just like nothing and um, I just made the decision that I had to to make a change with my diet yeah. um, so you asked me kind of like how that went down and it happened pretty quickly I was at the farmers market you know I started kind of eyeballing the eggs and um like like were they calling to you like you like that sounds good yeah and i had no, i had not had cravings okay okay um yeah Interesting. so so it was just like pretty quickly and then after i um after i added animal pr 
products, animal protein back into my diet, I, I did find that I was having a lot of trouble um, absorbing B12, which I was taking a supplement, but um, there are different kinds of B12. I know you know that, but for people listening, there are, and even depending on your um, specific genetics, can even determine which type of B12 um, is best for you. And then you're, there are a lot of things that can determine how a person absorbs it. So anyways, I was ha- I started having like numbness in my fingers. And then I found that I had not been absorbing even the supplemental B12 I had been taking as a vegan. And so, you know, it really didn't take or it really didn't happen that I started, my health started stabilizing until I I stopped the vegan diet. I stopped eating all those foods that were impairing my digestion, um, like the, uh, the gluten um, and then even the legumes, I think, were maybe impacting my gut permeability. Um, and then even... I think my thyroid hormone, again, that I have to take, you know, in a, in like in a pill format, I think that has even improved. My absorption of that has improved now that I've stabilized um, like my, my digestive system and my gut absorption. How long did you wait before you kind of like made the announcement more public that you were eating meat again? I did not wait long because I have the curse of being like not being able to keep a secret, you know, (laughs) and familiar. (laughs) Yeah. And kind of like just wanting, wanting to share. And then, I mean, you know how it is on social media now. I mean, like I've grown a lot since then and I'm able to maybe keep those boundaries a little bit more set now, but this was over four years or almost four years ago now and I was more like I'm just gonna I have to be authentic and I mean I still believe like I couldn't have pretended I was still vegan um but yeah so I didn't I did not wait that long and that made it actually even harder because I was still really suffering from health issues and I just was so I just felt so vulnerable um, and so, like, I would say it was maybe, like, I would say two to three weeks, um, that time period when I started eating meat before I, I went public with it. Yeah. Did you experience any, any negative backlash? Yes, it you was. Did. Oh, yes. So that blog post... Um, has, I think, over 500 comments on it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm like, okay, I have, like, I've been blogging for a while, but um, I do not write blog posts normally that get 500 comments yeah. on them. Um, so, I haven't yeah. read any of the comments, and I, it's, I'm probably better for it because it sounds like there's some, some yucky stuff from the sounds of things. Yeah, it's exactly um, what you would expect. And quite frankly, I I expected it. I did not expect how much it would actually hurt, but I did expect it because I had, in, I mean, I take responsibility that I had lived, I had taken on this vegan label. I was more than happy to, to 
you know, like make that my community. It wasn't like I really had to do the work of going out and talking to people and like finding commonalities. You know, when you put yourself, when you put a label on yourself, there are some benefits. I mean, you can immediately connect with other people. And that was one of the things that I loved the most was just having like an immediate group of friends and there were events that were all and there still are, you know, built around the vegan community. But um, just like, you know, other close-knit communities that are kind of built on this agreement of what that community is about, um, if you go against it, a lot of people can take that as a, a you know, like a personal um, insult to the community or that you know, you're saying, well, it didn't work for me, so there's something wrong with it, or it's not going to work for you. It's, so anyways, it's taken me a lot of work to, yeah, like, get past all that negative stuff that happened. There's something that you said that really stuck out, um, how people were like, well, you just didn't do the vegan diet right, right? You have to, you have to vegan harder. And even just the, I think there's so much morality wrapped up in certain uh, food labels. And I mean, obviously with veganism, there is like morality because we're talking about eating other living beings. So I get that. But, um, this idea that like, well, I'm a vegan, so therefore I'm healthier than everybody else. But I almost feel like I'm a vegan, therefore I'm better than everybody else. You know, there's this, there's a little bit of this like elitist attitude that I've seen, but I'm not just, I'm not just saying this against or about vegans, I'm saying this against like a lot of diets. I mean, I've had uh, clients on AIP or SED diets, uh, so the specific carbohydrate diet or autoimmune paleo protocol for those who don't know what those uh, acronyms mean. And we're having a really hard time. And the, the advice and the feedback they got was essentially the same as you got. It's like, well, you need to do the diet harder. It's not, it, there's no, there's no flexibility and there's no room for like, well, you know what, maybe this diet isn't working for you. It's just that like, well, you're not doing it right. You know, and it's, it's unfortunate that it kind of has to go down that way. And it's unfortunate that you got backlash from it. But I, I bet on the, the flip side of that, that by you coming forward with this and saying like, here's, I tried guys and it didn't work and here's what happened. I bet a lot of other people, uh, you gave a lot of other people permission to kind of do the same. Cause I know I get a lot of emails, people reaching out to me saying I'm a vegetarian. I've been a vegetarian for a long time and I'm really anxious about adding meat there. There's, they feel bad about it. They feel guilty about it. They feel shame about it. And so I bet you set a lot of people free too, you know? Definitely. And I should point out that in my mind, of course, we always remember the negative comments more than the positive ones. So of, oh, of course, course, like, yeah, like the the negative comments were the ones that really hurt me and that I remember and, you know, that made me cry and everything. But yeah, I would say, um, so I mean, maybe I didn't answer your question really correctly, but I mean, yes, I did get a lot of negative comments, but the majority were supportive and exactly what you said people even if they didn't say like i'm thinking about it they would say oh well that happened to me or yeah even years later i'll have people um coming to me and 
um, telling me that, uh, yeah, like that did give them kind of not even just like a permission to leave the vegan diet, but more like permission to just listen to their bodies and their needs. And so maybe um, explore outside of the vegan diet with the idea that, I mean, it's always there. You know, it's like eating meat doesn't work, like it really doesn't work, or you are really uncomfortable with the idea of eating animal products, you can always go back. But, um, you know, if the, if the vegan diet is not working for you, then, um, yeah, I mean, I'm fully giving permission, people permission to explore beyond that. Yeah, and I think it's important to note here that Kyle and myself are not against a vegan diet at, at all. We don't really stand on one side of the fence when it comes to any any dietary, um, you know, ideal. What we're trying to promote is exactly what you're saying. It's like trying not to grip grip so tightly onto dogma and just instead listen to your body and, and respond accordingly. And I think that's what we can all just, I think that puts us all in a really good position. But for anyone that might be listening, who's interested in ma making the transition and is thinking about maybe adding some meat back in, you had mentioned briefly that you had some digestive um, digestive trouble. And so when you make this big adjustment, especially if you've, you, you are a vegetarian or vegan for a long time, the body might need some assistance when adding animal products back in. Did you do anything to assist digestion from whether it's supplement or, or anything else? Definitely. Yeah. Because when, so I hadn't eaten meat in uh, three and a half years. And so, um, I have to say that I think there are like, there's a physical adjustment and then there is also a mental adjustment. So I had people to help me. So I were, I did end up working with an eating disorders specialist who, um, she, she kind of just coached me along the way in terms of like that emotional part of um, not even like so much the morality of eating meat, but more like that if I was going to eat meat, then it would make my cancer come back or it was going to kill me, you know, like give me a heart disease oh. or that kind of stuff. And so um, she helped me with that. But then I did also work with a dietitian because I was in a like a she calls herself an ancestral food type dietitian so she's well versed in uh the weston price um kind of like format which is like traditional preparations and uh, like fermented dairy even though i wasn't able to add dairy back in um so she had a lot of great ideas but then i did find through um stool testing, I guess, with a functional medicine physician that I was not digesting um, like the meat proteins once I added it back in. And so the thing that has helped me hugely and I continue to do is to take a, um, I think it's pronounced betaine, B-E-T-A-I-N-E, -E, um, HCL, that's the name of the supplement. And I think it's like um it's like a hydrochloric acid and it's yeah. good for folks who have low stomach acid. And I mean, the only way I knew that was doing that testing, but I think I'd maybe this has been a problem I've had a long time because even before I was vegan, when I would eat meat, it just uh, like wouldn't sit right. Like I would, 
just not feel very good after eating meat. And so I do take this supplement. Um, I get it at Amazon. I think it's readily available at um, health food stores. And so I take one of those capsules pretty much with any meal, any meal that has protein, animal protein. You know what? That's interesting. Be, um, one of the signs, if, so let's say if somebody told me like, you know what? I just don't like the taste of meat. I don't, I don't really have an appetite for it. I don't like it. It's usually a good indication that their stomach acid is low. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then I would say too, the things that uh, kind of like ways that I started to get animal protein back into my diet that were easy to digest. And even to this day still, I really have a preference toward ground meat. I just find that it's like, say, as opposed to a big steak. Same here. Same here. Yeah. It's just like easier on my stomach. It just feels easier. I really have no like heaviness or um, stomach pain after eating ground meat. Um, then broth, like bone broth, which actually has like the animal proteins in it. Um, that's been another way that I get uh, like those proteins um, and it doesn't bother me at all. Um, I like bison. That's I find that a lot of people don't think about bison, um, but because some meats are higher in fat than say if you're eating a vegan diet um you know maybe your body isn't quite ready to absorb that fat or to i guess metabolize the fat and you know maybe the the gallbladder i hope i'm getting the anatomy right the gallbladder isn't maybe <laughs> releasing isn't used to releasing as much bile and so i found bison is uh just by its nature tends to be lower in fat than beef and so uh, bison meat is something that I eat a lot. And then... Can I um, ask you, if yep. do you get that locally or do you order that somewhere? I order it. So I actually, most of my meats, um, because that's another thing that's been important for me is to make sure that I'm uh, like getting the grass-fed, grass-finished. I love um, like U.S. wellness meats, Vital Choice. Those are just a couple of brands that I've um, purchased from before. Vital Choice is more fish, but um, but then for the bison, there's a farm in Oregon, and I just, I just found them from a Google search, and the way, it's like a family farm. I think it's a couple, and they have a small child, and they even bring, there's a word for it, the person who does the slaughtering, they bring this person on site, and the um, they do like a sage ceremony before they slaughter the bison. Um, and so that, I don't know, I just thought that kind of yeah, made me feel better. For sure. Yeah. You, what's the name? Do you have the name? Um, I can send it friend. to you, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can send it to you. But I've had, yeah, I've had really good experience with that, that okay. company. Awesome. We'll link to that. Yeah, I think it's called Full Circle, okay. which is a good name. Yeah. And they're in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so a lot of stuff about digestion, but I know you've also had um, a lot of hormone issues too. So you've been through so many health struggles. You have um, autoimmune disease, ha Hashimoto's thyroiditis, PCOS, hypothalamic amenorrhea. That is a mouthful. Um, 
What are some of the best ways you've been able to balance your hormones? Ooh, good question. So, so during my vegan time, I had a second bout of eating disorder. So I had mentioned that I had binge eating disorder when I was an adolescent. It kind of like gone into remission, quote unquote. Then during my vegan days, and especially after the cancer, that eating disorder mentality came back full force. And this was also the time when intermittent fasting was just really starting to get hot on the internet. So I'm talking around like 2013, right? (laughs) So I fell into that trap and I started experimenting with that. And then I think what ended up happening was I really got like this orthorexia, which is like a really obsessive focus on every single piece of food that goes into your mouth has to be like the ultimate health food. Yeah. And so I, um, I got way too thin and I lost my menstrual cycle. And, um, so then my hormones really got out of whack. So I was, it's almost like I put myself in pre- pre-menopause or actually into menopause because I started having hot flashes in the middle of the night, um, insomnia, you know, I'd wake up like in a panic almost. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that, I mean, that was really kind of another reason when I was like, I cannot be vegan anymore. I cannot have restriction around my diet anymore. And so, I mean, that was really the first step into balancing my hormones. Um, I had to gain back about 10 pounds. Um, And I mean, it's different for everyone. It's not like that's like the magic bullet. And, you know, for some women with PCOS, you know, losing weight can help improve insulin sensitivity. But it's just so individualized with um, every woman finding like a comfortable weight and it can't be under anybody else's guidelines. Um, But in in a way, I trusted my body to figure things out, which was a big, um, a big hope to really let my body really trust my body because I had had PCOS and so it didn't seem like my body knew how to do its job. Um, So that's when uh, like really working with a um, a specialist and a dietitian or, you know, somebody who has knowledge of how um, like hormones can be supported. And I think that can kind of be um, different for everyone depending on your past. Um, so for me, like, because I had been almost anorexic, it took gaining weight and really cutting back on my exercise and um, just um, like getting my nutrient levels back up to normal. Like I mentioned, I was deficient in B12. Uh, strangely enough, even though I had been eating so many vegetables, I think I was folate deficient. Mm. And I ended up doing like the genetic testing. And then now I take, and I can't, actually can't even tolerate the common the methylfolate that's often recommended it makes me like really super hyper 
Wow. And jittery. So I take one called, I think it's like hydroxy or no, no, it's called folinic acid. Um, but that's kind of getting into nitty gritty details, but that's where working with a functional medicine uh, practitioner came in really handy and helped restore my nutrient levels. And um, I think that's when my body just finally got into its groove. And um, now I'm 43 and I'm um, finally, I have like my fertility, but I'm like way, way, my husband and I are like, no way, no way, no way, no. Smart moves, smart moves. Um, you know, there was, you had mentioned something earlier, the connection between Hashimoto's and gluten. Would you feel comfortable expanding on that a little bit for those that are listening? Because I think that's really, that's not information that's in the hands of most people. Yeah, and I think it it isn't because I think it's still developing science, although there is some science, I believe. You know, I I think there, I've listened to a lot of podcasts, and I know there's a researcher at Harvard School of Public Health, I believe. I want to say his name is Fasano. Alessio Fasano. Yeah, so I think he's published work on how gluten can can lead to Hashimoto's and my understanding you might be more familiar with that linkage but my understanding is somehow the gluten creates antibodies that mimic the thyroid hormone and or the or something that's attacking the thyroid hormone and so then when the thyroid starts to attack itself anytime any body organ is attacking itself. That is the definition of autoimmune disease. And so there's something specific about gluten that can trigger um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is specific autoimmune illness to the thyroid. Right, exactly. I mean, you you said it very well. It's essentially the, the whole concept of molecular mimicry, where if two molecules look alike, your body can respond to them as such. And so, and I'm glad that to hear you say that because um, that that's really one of the first things that I do if, if I have somebody that comes in, comes to me with Hashis. It's like, if you're not off gluten, start there. You know, I, I just look at it as it's such low-hanging fruit that I know it's very overwhelming for some people to think about attempting a gluten-free diet, but in the grand scheme of things, if all you have to do is avoid gluten and to feel better, not so bad, right? And I shouldn't say that's all you have to do because it's usually not as, as simple as that. But for some people, it kind of is. But I just, I want to get that information out there to more people. Like if, if, you, if you've if you got Hashi's, um, which is so, so prevalent, then really consider uh, going gluten-free. There's a big, there's a big correlation too between celiac disease and Hashimoto. So I think it's five times, um, like if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have Hashimoto's, you're at a five times greater risk to have celiac. I think I remember reading that that in um, in school. And that was, I mean, that's, that's yeah, significant. It is indeed. And I think the cool thing too with that is that you can actually measure your antibodies, which I had never had done through my regular, you know, quote unquote, endocrinologist, he had never measured my antibodies. And so that is a simple blood test. And so if somebody listening wants to try a gluten diet, we'll just have those antibodies 
um, measured before and then go on a gluten-free diet and then, I don't know, maybe six weeks, test them again. And then that's really encouraging. If you can see that your antibody levels come down, then you'll have proof for yourself. Such a good point. That is a, that's a really good point because getting tested for um, gluten sensitivity isn't always the easiest. It's, uh, you know, you can get a celiac disease test through through your, you know, like your PCP or gastroenterologist, but it really isn't doesn't tell you much in the way of whether you're just simply sensitive to gluten. Um, so those tests are harder to come by, but that's a really good um, that's a really good tip. Um, all right, so we're coming we're coming up on forty five minutes here. Um, is there anything, Carrie? Why don't you you know tell tell our audience where they can find you, the best places to reach you, your website, Instagram, all that good stuff. If if there's anything that um, you know, you're doing that's exciting that you'd like to talk about, please, please share. Well, I do have a podcast like we talked about, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm having so much fun with it. And I think you are too, because I can hear it in your enthusiasm and um, the episodes and the guests that you present. But it is so much fun. And I'm bringing on a lot of my Instagram friends. And it is so amazing to hear people's stories. And I was at an event recently and somebody said, you know, everybody has something to share. And I think that is so true. And I just love, you know, finding out what that information is when actually talking to people. I love that. So my podcast is called Clean Eating uh, for Women podcast. And yeah, it's kind of an extension of my blog. My blog is mostly where I do my recipes and I present uh, nutrition information here and there. My recipes are all gluten and dairy free. I have a little freebie. If you go on my site, which is cleaneatingkitchen.com, there'll be a pop-up and I have a freebie uh, gluten and dairy free energy bites ebook. Um, they're also all vegan and paleo. So that is something that um, I offer. And then on Instagram, I'm clean eating Carrie, and that's my Facebook page as well. Awesome. Awesome. And I want to throw out there to people that, because um, I've been following you long enough to know this, that you haven't historically been a huge fan of veggies. So your a lot of your recipes kind of sneak veggies in. So if... Um, we have any parents listening? There's some good <laughs> stuff on there for kiddos that aren't really stoked on veggies. Would you, do you think that's a fair assessment? <laughs> Definitely. I'm a super taster. So if you don't know what that is, it means that you're really, I'm really, really sensitive to bitter flavors. So broccoli, I mean, most of just the really, you know, healthy foods or like the real foods don't taste good to me, especially in the cruciferous vegetable category. So yes, I always appreciate your recipes, Erin, that you make for your daughter because they're perfect for me. <laughs> you're, you're essentially a toddler. That's perfect. Yes, <laughs> I am. <laughs> All right, Carrie, thank you so much. It was so awesome to hear your story and to have you on the show. And I'm, I know a lot of people can relate to things that you've gone through. So that was that was awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Erin and Kyle. I love you both. Right back at you. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, 
don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.